0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Secret Sauce of Selling podcast. Today, we have a really interesting and special guest. we got Chris Weidner, um, who has been named one of the top 10 influence speakers in sales and leadership by Success Magazine. So, And apparently, he's done over 1,000 podcasts as a guest, um, huge influencer, and he actually wrote a book. Uh, named The Art of Influencers. So, um, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, James. With pleasure. Um, And so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little about who you are, what you believe in when it comes to sales and sales leadership. And uh, just give us a a snippet of your story and uh, what you believe should be the number one takeaway from today's podcast for the listeners.
1: Sure. So, um, Um, As you mentioned, uh, I wrote a book called The Art of Influence. I've written 23 books, uh, given 2,500 speeches all over the world, uh, primarily on influence. At least the last 1,000 speeches have been on influence in my book, The Art of Influence. Um, I grew up in Seattle. Life did not start out well for me. I grew up in Seattle. My dad died when I was four. Uh, My mom had to sell the house because she couldn't afford $400 a month for the mortgage payment. Uh, that began a downward spiral, 28 homes, 11 different schools, shipped off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade, started drugs in the sixth grade. Uh, in By the 10th grade, I uh, I had 47 written referrals to the principal's office in the 10th grade. Uh, I made most of my money growing up betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track. So you can kind of get an idea that life did not start out very well for me. But somewhere along the line, I, I, I uh, figured things out. And uh grew up, I, I ended up having some great mentors. My first business mentor was the CEO of Mars Candies, a, a small little $35 billion a year company. Um, and then I had some great mentors in the personal development, success, and sales worlds. Uh, a guy named Zig Ziglar, most people probably know Zig. I had a television show with Zig for a number of years. And then I was mentored for seven years by a guy named Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. For those of you who don't know him, uh, he's a legend in the industry. And he gave Tony Robbins his first job. So Tony started selling Jim Rohn seminars when he was 17 years old. And, and I spent the last seven years of Jim's life working with him and uh, wrote his last book called The 12 Pillars. So I've done a lot of selling in my life. My first sale was at 14. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. But I guess a couple of things that I would tell you as takeaways from this. Number one, everybody's in sales. Even if you aren't in sales, you're in sales. If you don't do it professionally, you're still in sales. Uh, Everybody, little children sell their parents on taking them out to get ice cream. Little children sell their kids on buying them, a, or sell their parents on buying them a bike. Uh, spouses sell their spouses on taking them out for dinner or going on vacation or any of these kinds of things. So we're all in sales. That's number one. But for those of you who are in professional sales, uh, what, what you'll probably get out of this, sort of my focus is, I talk less about techniques although techniques are great and techniques are important I talk about character the character of the salesperson because the character of the salesperson is far more important than your than your skill set skill set is really important but character is the bedrock of being able to sell and I'll just give you a, a brief uh, you know example of that you can walk onto a a, a car sales lot and that salesperson might have all the talent in the world and might have the answer to every question you have but at the end if you just don't trust him if there's just something that seems a little off what do you do you walk right off the right off the car lot so character and connecting with people and demonstrating your character people is by far and away the most important thing in the sales process
0: yeah that's that's awesome and first of all wow you're you're history is incredible. So you literally have been standing on the shoulders of giants and, and, and all these great names. Uh, first of all, I'm humbled to, to have the opportunity to have you on, th- on, this, on, on this, this podcast and, 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 and hear these, these remarkable... There's one, one interesting point, and you mentioned children. Um, I recently had a conversation with a, with a, with a client, and um, it was very difficult for that person to understand the concept that you just explained, which was we're always selling. And he says, James, not, you know, I wasn't born a salesperson. And I said, guess what? You know, you also say, no, no one's born a salesperson. I said, guess what? You were. And you know, when you made your first sale, when the moment you came out and you started to cry, that's when you started to sell. Yep. And babies cry because they want to be fed. They want to be nurtured. Yep. And at that moment, we, we have to, and so I, I really, I'd really i love to hear your story uh, that you mentioned when you were 14, um, that, that, that sales story from 14. Yeah. So why don't we start there?
1: Yeah, it was my first sales call I ever made, and you wouldn't believe how much money I could have made but didn't make. So I'll tell you the story. My mom was working at Group Health Hospital in downtown Seattle up on Capitol Hill. And um, I don't really know what she did, receptionist or something like that. But she had a friend, and the friend was um, um, a medical record filer. So all day long, all this guy did was took medical records and filed them alphabetically. I can't imagine how dreadful that job must have been. And he didn't want to have this job. So he heard about a business opportunity. And he borrowed, I think it was seven thousand dollars from his uh, from his uncle. Now this would have been 1980, so it was a pretty good chunk of money for 1980 seven thousand bucks. And uh, his rich uncle gave him seven thousand dollars, and he bought the license to the Pacific Northwest region of the United States, so Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska, to sell self watering flower pots. Self watering flower pots. Now, it's interesting. They were made out of like a polymer plastic and it looked like a bowl. And then you put the water in the bowl. And then there was another bowl that sat down inside of it. And that's where the dirt and the plant went. Now, the top bowl had kind of a nipple that went down into the water of the bowl below it. And then it had a little lever on the side where you could um, determine how much water got drawn up into the bowl. So if it was on the far left, it didn't draw much water up at all. So that would be like for a cactus. If you took it all the way to the right, it would draw up a lot more water. And that would be for like an African violet or something like that that needed a lot more water. So this guy comes to me. I'm 14 years old. And he says, hey, how would you like to make a little money? I said, okay, I'm always looking for a way to make a little money. And he said, I got these flower pots and and I'd like you to sell them for me. I said, okay, how much will you pay me? for each pot. He said, I'll pay you a dollar for every pot you sell. I said, fantastic. Now, this guy thought that I was going to go door to door selling flower pots to little old ladies one at a time. But I thought, huh, the quickest way to sell a lot of pots would be to go to my local, um, you know, or my regional hardware store company. So I didn't go to one that had one hardware store company. I went to, I went to one that had, hundreds of stores all over the Pacific Northwest. And I called him up and I said, I'd like to talk to whoever it is that buys your products. And they said, well, that's so-and-so in such and such department. And so I said, I'd like to come in and I'd like to demonstrate for you a self-watering flower pot. And the guy says, come on in. He had no clue. I was 14 years old. My mother went and bought me a little blue blazer and a pair of khaki pants. And, uh, she drove me to downtown Seattle and dropped me off at a street corner and said, I'll be back in an hour. And I walked in with nothing but one of these pots. I walk in. They said, uh, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I've got a meeting with so-and-so. And they said, oh, okay. Well, up I go. I walk in. This guy kind of does a double take. Like, here's a 14-year-old kid, and I have a water, you know, this flower pot. So he says, all right, show it to me. So I took the top off, the top bowl off. I put water into the the bottom bowl. I put the top bowl back in. Nothing was coming up, and I moved the lever, and water appeared. And he says, "I'm a buyer." He says, "I'll tell you what. I don't want to buy them for all my stores, but I will do a one year test with your flower pots. Here's what I'd like. I would like four boxes, and there were twenty four in in each box. Let's call it twenty five. It'll make the math easier. I'll take four boxes a month." For 20 stores. So you think about this, I sold 2,000 pots. So 25 times 4 is 100 times 20 stores, 2,000 uh, for a year. I sold 24,000 flower pots on the very first uh, sales call I ever went on in my life. Now, here's the amazing
0: thing. You I've- said at the beginning you lost money or you, you were supposed to What's the catch? I'll, I'll tell you.
1: Here's the catch. I go back to this guy, and I said, I sold some pots. <laughs> and he said, really? How many pots did you sell? And I said, I sold 24,000 pots. Now, the number was more like 23,800 and something, because remember, we rounded up to 25. And he goes, What? And I said, yeah, I went down to, now this was before Home Depot and before, you know, all the big box stores. So this was a regional, you know, and he, I I kid you not, James, this is a great success lesson. He freaked out so much. It was so big for him. He quit. He called the company back up and he said, I want my money back. I don't want to do this anymore. And, and the deal never went through. Now I don't know why my mother didn't go beg, borrow, and steal seven thousand dollars to buy the rights so that we could fulfill that. And the craziest thing is, James, it was a drop ship deal. He didn't have to do anything. He had all he had to say was, yeah, send these uh, you know, two thousand things every month, and they would have done the whole thing. But he was so terrified of success because he was so small minded that a giant order like that, that if I was making a dollar a pot, who knows how many dollars a pot he was making, you know, he might've just, and the whole thing would have paid for my college whatever. So I made my first sale at 14, but it didn't go through because the guy who owned the company or at least had the license was terrified of how big it was. So
0: let me, let me see if I get this straight. You have the opportunity. Someone asks you, I want you to go door-to-door, do a B2C sale. Yep. You say to yourself, there's got to be a better way. Yep. You not only go to a B2B sale, you go to a to Enterprise type of sale. Yep. Now, you come back. He says, this is too much. I quit. I got to ask you a question. Did you lose $24,000? Or did you make? I, I, a huge also, did I, you, I didn't get any money out of it because the so deal
1: never went through. And frankly, never went.
0: At the end, how of much it, is that lesson? How much is that lesson worth
1: to you from a mindset perspective? Well, millions of dollars in a mindset, right? You know, because I, I realize, and I get to tell the story, and I get to help. I've helped millions of people just telling the story. You I not be Afraid of success? Oh because yeah. If you're afraid of success. It doesn't matter how much gets dumped in your lap. You'll never be able to do anything with it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm a standard guy. And one of our the standard rules is you got to learn to fail to win. And, uh, and, and I always say to, to the people that I talk to, the people I work with, um, you gotta, you got to embrace those failures. Because those, those make the, great, the best stories, by the way. no only really cares about the wins. The, yeah. it's, the, it's, it's the failures. It's those ones that crash and like, yeah. Those are the fun stories to tell, and those are the ones that make us bigger, bigger stronger, uh, more precise, more collected, and I think give us more conviction on what, we, what we're really doing. That is an awesome story. Um, Chris, got to ask you, um, when you mentioned to me earlier that, um, that so your concept with regards to success, what, what, does that, what does that consist of from your point of view? What is your, what is your belief when it comes to, to mindset, when it comes to
1: influencing? Well, I really believe that it all begins in our minds right and i and i I know that people say that you know it's about what you think about, and I would say it's even one step below that that um people say whatever you think about becomes true and and to a certain degree, that's true, and I hate to be countering you know all the legends of our industry, but there's one even deeper than thoughts, and that's beliefs so mm. for example, I can think right now i I am thinking the thought. I'm closing my eyes. I'm thinking the thought. I'm saying the words. I am standing at the foot of the Eiffel Tower. Now, I can say those things, and I can think those things. I can even picture the Eiffel Tower in my mind. I can even picture myself looking up at the Eiffel Tower, but I'm not there. So it doesn't actually result in me being there because I don't believe I'm there. I believe I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So my thought doesn't really create it, but my beliefs, if I... I certainly believe I could go to the Eiffel Tower. I believe I could go right now to the airport, swipe my credit card, and I could be at the Eiffel Tower in probably less than 24 hours. So your belief creates your thoughts, which create, and your belief, I think, is like a, it's like a thermostat. Whatever you believe to be true about yourself is what actually happens because it's always going to set it to a certain setting. So it's like a thermostat. If, if you keep your thermostat at 70 and outside is 80 and you open your door, now the heat starts to go up. So your thermostat says, wait a minute, we got to be 70 degrees here. Turn on the air conditioning. Now, if it's 60 degrees out and I open the door and it starts to drop the temperature, your thermostat says, wait a minute, we're set for 70 degrees here. We need to turn the heat on to get us back to, to 70 degrees. So what you believe about yourself will determine what you think and what your actions are. I'll give you an example. The greatest salesperson I've ever met in my, in my life is my son. This kid has been in four businesses, four companies, and within two months has become the number one salesperson in four different industries. But he got his first job, uh, he, went into, um, he went into a mattress company. Now, these mat- this mattress company was 300 stores from Seattle to San Diego. Basically, almost Canada, all the way down to San Diego, 300 stores. And a friend of his worked there and said, "You should come and work for us." This was his first sales job. So he he gets an interview with the district manager. Well, it just so happened that the regional manager was also going to be there, and it just so happened that the entire that the owner of the entire company happened to be in town, and he said, "I want to sit in on the interviews today." So Christopher says, "Okay." Uh, I'll come in for the interview. So he comes in and here's the district manager, the regional manager, and the owner of the 300 stores. And they're talking and they're doing all the typical sales stuff and questions. And, you know, and at the very end, toward the very end, the owner of the company says, I have one question for you. If you uh, hit 50% of your goals, you'll make $50,000 a year. And he's 22 at this point, 21. He says, if you make 80% of your sales goals, you make 80000 a year. If you make 100%, you make 100000 a year. If you do 120%, you make $120,000 a year. Which one are you? And my son laughed at him. He goes, <laughs> yeah, I,
0: yeah. And the owner goes, do you think that's funny?
1: And my son says, oh, is that a serious question? And the owner goes, it's a very serious question. Which one are you? And he goes, oh, 120. And then he leans forward and he goes, does anybody pick anything else? And at that point, the owner laughed and said, yes, young man, a lot of people do not pick 120. And he goes, why? That's weird. And so they finished up the thing, and uh, they said, we'll get back to you in two weeks. We'll get back to you in two weeks. Ten minutes later, he's driving down the road, his cell phone rings, he picks it up, and the district manager says, our owner thought your answer was so awesome, you're hired. And within two months, he was the number one salesperson. And within one year, he was the number one store manager in the entire company. But what was interesting was he came home and we were living in, at the time, we were living in a my dream house. I had driven by this house for 21 years. It was on 10 acres. My front gate was 500 feet long, brick pillars, wrought iron fences, big double you know, double gates, quarter mile circular driveway, 1800 bottle wine cellar. I mean, it was a spectacular home. So he comes home to that and he says, dad, why would anybody pick anything else? And I said, it's because of what they believe about themselves. Now you believe highly in yourself and you believe that $120,000 a year is totally uh, reasonable because You have me in your life and you have my friends. Think about all my friends who come over here and they own, you know, $10 million apartment complexes and they run professional baseball teams and, you know, all these kinds of things. That's your world. But there are some people who don't know a single person in their family who makes $80,000 a year. So they pick $50,000 a year. Or if they're a dreamer, they might pick $80,000 a year. It's about what you believe about yourself. And another thing is,
0: many times when they go home and say, I've got an, offered a job, they're asking me to pick between 50, 80, and 120, the people around them say, Go for the lower end. Yep. Because that's what we do. That yep. is unrealistic. And so I, 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 I think this is a great story. And, and I, tr- I believe tremendously that as sales professionals, we are designed and programmed from a very, very young age. Some decide. To alter that programming at some point, and there are compelling at compelling places in their life where these things happen um, you can may call it reinventing yourself if you may you know a lot of people say, oh yeah, so those compelling moments um, but I, I agree one hundred percent it's 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 really about that programming and that and that belief and you think about religion, what is religion it's people re- repeating the same prayer over and over again to the point where they believe in it, and that's fair, and you know we, that's fair. Very, very similar. And so the money concept issue, let's talk about that for a second. I like yep. that. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts when, when you, you know, especially I think in 2023, within this type of an uh, economic environment, um, I was at a conference yesterday and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's such a difficult time and so difficult and life is so difficult and you can't make money and there's a recession and no one's investing and no one's buying and all this other stuff. And I told them the hot dog stand story. Can I, can I give you the, the hot dog stand yeah. story pretty quick? Yeah. Right. So there was this hot dog, hot dog vendor, and this hot dog vendor was working really hard, really good. He was the like top hot dog vendor in his town, and he was doing really well. But he said to himself, I don't want my son to be a hot dog vendor one day. And so what he did was he, he saved a lot of money, sent his son off to, to Harvard, right? Paper Harvard. And when his son was away, this guy was just, you know, selling lots of hot dogs. He went from one stand to two to three to four to five to six. And then he grew up to 100 stands all over town. Son comes back from, uh, from Harvard and says, wow, oh, my God, Holy shit! What is this? This is amazing! I can't believe you did this. How did you do this? I don't know. It's just, you know, supply and demand, it's lots of demand. Because you know, Dad, there's a recession out there. Do you hear that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a hot dog vendor. You're the business expert. Yeah, there's a there's a recession. Out there. Maybe we should change the hot dog. Maybe we should use a you know cheaper kind of hot dog, to save and make more money. I don't know. You're the you're the expert. Let's do it. Do whatever you see. That's why I sent you off to business school. And That's what they did. They changed the hot dog meat. Guess what happened? People stopped buying the hot dogs. Didn't taste as good. Exactly. And he left with, left with one hot dog stand. You know what he t- turned around and said to his son? Well, wow, son, you're right. There is a recession. Mm. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You get what you, be- you, know, you, get what you believe in, right? Uh, every time there's a recession, there are people who make money. Mm. Uh, in the Great Depression here in the United States back in 1929, 1930, there were people who became millionaires while other people stood on, on soup lines. And there is always an opportunity to get wealthy. You just have to choose whether or not you're going to do it or not. I spoke to, uh, I spoke to a network marketing company uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Maui, and there was a couple hundred people in it. And I said, three years from now, some of you are going to be very rich. Now, here's the good news. It could be any one of you. Here's the bad news. It will only be a few of you. Because some of you will believe you can do it, some of you won't. Some of you will do the work that it takes to do it, some of you won't. The good news is it could be you. The bad news is it may not be you. It's
0: what you believe. Absolutely. So let's take it to some, I know I know it's belief. I get. I love belief. I believe 100%. It's all the mindset. I'm yep. the mindset man myself. Love it. Let me ask you a question. Where Do you have a few hacks and tricks and techniques in order to start to to develop that belief, you know, David Sander in our world said, make it till you make it. I say, be it till you make it. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think the, the way to increase your belief is to go incrementally, um, stretch for something a little bit bigger, because if you stretch for something too big, you're just going to go, okay, I can say the words, but I don't really believe it, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if somebody says, I'm going to be a billionaire, they could be a billionaire, but if they don't believe they're going to be a billionaire, they're never going to become a billionaire. Right. So start with something a little smaller. I like to use this example. When I was in college, uh, eighty uh, four to 88, I drove a 1974 Camaro, a Chevy Camaro. And it was a kind of a junky old car. You know, it wasn't the best car in the world, but I used to drive it between Seattle and Minnesota and back and forth. And it was not the greatest car. So when I had to when I had to go somewhere, I drove because I didn't have the money. But I used yeah. to someday I'm going to fly. Now, I didn't say, I'm going to have a private jet someday, because I didn't believe it. But I I could believe that I could fly. Well, then what happens when you start flying? You get on the airplane, and what's the first thing you do when you get on an airplane? You walk past all those big, fancy seats. You know, wow, look at these seats. And this guy's drinking champagne already. And then they usher you back into these little tiny seats. So you kind of sit there scrunched up with the big fat guy in the middle, and you're kind of just <laughs> like this, you know, and he's sweating to death. And they throw peanuts, little bags of peanuts, and you try to open them, and they pop, and they spew everywhere. And you're like, I, someday, I could sit in the- a. Attorney- but, I'm turning
0: left when I get on the plane. Yeah, I'm going right.
1: <laughs> and I can believe that. I still don't believe I could do the private jet thing, but I do believe if I'm successful and I work hard and I sell more, I can sit in the front of the plane eventually. And eventually you get to that point. So you constantly grow it. I look at um I look at a waiter in a restaurant, a server in a restaurant. You have people that serve at Denny's, which is just a little diner, and they sell ten dollar breakfasts. So your average ticket's going to be $30, they get 20%, they make 6 bucks for bringing those plates in. But then you have other people who work at these high class steak joints, right? Where the average bill is $1,000. 20% of 1,000, $200. Now what did that person do? They brought plates to a table, just like the server at Denny's. But hmm. one makes $6, the other makes $200. Now, if I was at Denny's, which everybody starts out low, nobody just walks into a high-end state joint and says, I want to be a waiter. But do, why do some people work at Denny's their entire life instead of trying to go to the next one and the next one and then spend 15 years making $200 a table? It's belief.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do a lot, of, a, a lot of work with my clients and uh, supporting them on the, on the hiring piece. And yeah. you know, they bring me James. You know, and you know how it is. Sometimes it's that revolving door. You know, salespeople are in, they're out, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. Yeah. Uh, many times they're like, oh, James, I just found a really great salesperson. They bring in a CV. Can you talk to him? Do you mind? Talk to the guy. And, you know, the, I say, well, why did you like to serve? What, do you, what did you find in the salesperson that you believe is, will help you be successful? And they're like, well, he's got 15 years of experience. And he's on this and that. And says, well, you know, how can I tell without offending you? I don't think he has 15 years of experience. And this is after talking to the person. Uh, because he's basically been doing the same thing over and over again. He doesn't have 15 years of experience. He has one year of experience 15 times.
1: 15 times, right. And if, exactly. these,
0: if this is the person that you're hoping will help you grow your business or you believe will help you grow your business, you might want to start to think about checking up on what you really believe in and what success looks like from your point of view because at the end of the day, you get what you believe in. Yeah, exactly. And I love that point. I, that's a great story. Chris got to ask you, what's your secret sauce for selling?
1: People skills. It's uh, people, you know, my friend Bob Berg, who wrote um, The Go-Giver, uh, he, uh, he always says people do business with they, people they know, like, and trust. Yep. And so you have to build rapport. You know, I have a number of publishers that publish a lot of my books, and, and one of them has probably 30 products of mine, books and audio programs and such. And one little book is half of my royalties from that publisher every quarter. And it's a little book called How to Talk to Anybody, Anytime, Anywhere. And, uh, and, and I believe that anybody can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere, if they use a simple little three-step process, and here it is. This is how you build instant rapport with anybody. The first step is to ask questions. Now, most people think when I get into an interaction, I have to be, I have to be, you know, exciting to people. I have to be interesting to people. And so that's why people get afraid because they feel like they have to carry the ball. They have to be do all the talking. They have to be interesting to other people. Now, this, this happens whether you're making a sale or you're sitting down next to somebody on an airplane or you're at a wedding reception, whatever. Here's the first step. Ask questions. What's your name? Oh, where do you live? You know, if you're at a wedding, we say, are you with the bride or the groom? You know, where do you live? You just start asking questions. What do you do for a living? What do you do for fun? Now, you ask questions. It's all you have to do. You You keep putting the ball into their court. And eventually, you're going to find a connection. Now, it might be, you know, are you here for the bride or the groom? We're with the groom. Oh, we're with the groom, too. Connection. Where do you live? How do you know the groom? I went to college with him. Oh, okay. I didn't go to college with him. Well, uh, um, so how do you know the groom? Well, we golf together. I'm a golfer. Now you have another connection. So you're with the groom, you're a golfer, you know. Now now you found that connection, right? So ask questions, find a connection. Your connection is golf. And the third, go in that direction. Oh, I love to golf too. Boy, I golf twice a week. Uh, what's your handicap? My handicaps are 15. Oh, that's interesting. I'm a 17, so we're pretty, pretty. What's your favorite course you've ever played on? Oh, I played Pebble Beach one time I played Pebble Beach last month. How'd you do? What'd you score? What was the toughest hole? Da-da-da. Ask questions. Find a connection. Go in that direction. And here's what happens. People say subconsciously, this guy's just like me. He plays golf, too. And there's a connection. Now, it might be your religion. It might be where you went to college. It might be your favorite color. It might be your favorite hobby. It might whatever it is. It doesn't matter. When you find that connection, that's your instant rapport. But let them
0: lead. Help them lead.
1: Help them lead. Help,
0: make it about them. Make it make it their idea, Make it their You make it their connection. I love this. Um, yep. I also work a lot along the lines of advocating. People love to hear which stories, their own. Yeah. Which voice their own. Yep. What do they love to talk about? Themselves. So yep. let them do it. I mean, if, and th- if that's, you know, that's what people, and I also think we're in a stroke deprived society. People <laughs> just don't get enough of an opportunity to feel good about themselves. Let's yeah. let them feel good about themselves. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome. Chris, listen, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate the time. Um, I'm sure that we could just pack up just so much stuff um, and Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm, I think I want to ask you one more question before we yep. do, we're done. Um, if you would go back to the, your 14-year-old self, and you could give your 14-year-old
1: self one, one tip, what would it be? Well, I would tell my mother to go find $7,000 and buy that contract. So we Got could go sell those thoughts. Um, You know, I would probably tell myself, because at that point, I was just learning it, but I would reiterate it. It's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. In the early early 2000s, I had a friend, and he was uh, working with a guy who sold software, uh, language learning software through Costco and Sam's Club. And I met this guy at a speaking engagement. He said, I'm fascinated by the motivational world. Tell me about it. So I told him about speakers and books and audio programs and all these kinds of things. And he said, you know, what if we were to license these audio programs from all of these speakers and then turn them into products. And I said, that's a great idea. So one summer in the early 2000s, probably 2004, 2005, we started calling all of my professional speaker friends and we licensed hundreds of audio programs from people on a non-exclusive basis. You can continue selling it. We just want the right to be able to put it in a box and sell it. And we created a number of different SKUs Uh, The three best-selling were leadership, sales success, and verbal power. Those were our three top ones. And every box had 14 CDs and one DVD in it. Now, we could have gone down to the local store and said, hey, can we sell these on consignment with you? We'll give you the box, and when you sell them, you send us $10. We didn't do that. Why? Because it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. Our very first sales call, Costco. And we began to sell fifty to 75,000 boxes a month through Costco and Sam's Club, Borders, and Barnes and & Noble. And we could have gone the small route, but we went the big route. It's the same thing I did when I was 14. I could have sold those pots door to door. didn't want to. I sold big. I didn't sell small. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. That, that's awesome.
1: All right. Well, um, how can people look you up, get in touch? Um Absolutely. They can find me at Chrisweitner.com, or they can follow me on Facebook uh, at Chris Widener Speaker. Um, those are probably the two best uh, things. If there's any way that I can you know, help folks out or any of that kind of thing, they can send me an email, chris at chriswidener.com.
0: That's awesome. Guys, um, uh, this has been a great treat having Chris on the show. Uh, so I'd like to sh- I'd like to thank Novacy, Center Israel. Uh, for supporting and making this happen. Chris, you're a rock star, and I look forward to meeting you
1: again. Awesome. I got to come to Israel. It's one of the places I've never been. I want to come there. I've heard it's just amazing. Well, we're here waiting for you and looking forward to meeting you. Take care. Good
0: selling, guys. Take care.